Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On The Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this edition, Barcelona coach Xavi falls on his sword... Was it Villarreal what done it? Also, Inter are back on top. It was Lautaro what done it. Is he a keeper? And unbeaten all season and with only one draw in no, 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 19, where did PSV find the winning formula? David, well, we have to start with you, I suppose. Uh, where did it all go wrong for Xavi at Barcelona? How we got to where we are with him? Yeah, um, to start here, I think, you know, you've got to look at when he came back. So he, he turns up halfway through the season in 20, November 2021, takes over from Ronald Koeman, who had just been getting outrageous pelters all season. Nobody ever wanted Koeman there. He goes... He takes Barca from ninth to second. They finish, you know, not that, that was really impressive, I think, for him to come back and considering the situation the club was in on the on the field and off the pitch, as, as we all know, with their financial insecurities that they have. Um, in his first full season, wins La Liga, wins the cup as well, a double. Great. It's looking like the project's, you, you know, heading in the right direction. They're playing some, you know, it, it's not the football that I think a lot of people thought Xavi would, would bring, would profess. I think people were thinking uh, this this very eye-catching, attractive style of football, given the player that he was and how he, you know, operated as a just an incredible central midfielder. Um, but they win; they, they return to winning ways. And again, with their off-field issues, with financial, you know, financial securities, uh, they need to win. There's a win now feel there. This this can't be a, a project that takes time to develop. They, he, there was pressure on him immensely um, from from the get-go. Um, and I think the problem for Xavi is he overachieved uh, very early on in his tenure, um, created unrealistic expectations um, there. And one bad summer, last summer, um, in terms of the players that they brought in, um, has ultimately hindered his style that he wanted, this this intense pressing style, very quick movement um, that he professes from play, that he professes that he wants as he tried to you know progress the progress the team um ultimately they couldn't do that they were hurt by a lot of injuries as well um and it's all come to fruition now with him saying that he made the decision to go in the summer and i think it i believe him um 
I think he witnessed what was going on at the club and how they were operating, how they would be operating in the future as well, the restrictions that they have. Um, and that's why he's come to the decision now. I think it's too much for, for him to, to take on, to handle. January then is the month of doom for <laughs> Xavi. Um, no, that's a David Carslidge line that I've just nicked. But <laughs> genuinely though, uh, were you surprised? I think I'm surprised at the speed with which it accelerated. And of course, I'm not the only person who's surprised. The real surprise was for Joan Laporta, the president. It didn't seem that he knew it was coming. Now, there are a lot of things that he doesn't know, it appears, but we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that. But as David has, has said elsewhere, it's, it's really accelerated this month because the, the bit that moves him out of the zone of unlimited credit is not any of the stuff that happens in the first half of the season, is when they go out to Saudi and they lose El Clasico 4-1. Because that they have a match where they need to turn up, give a performance that shows, even if they're going to struggle to win La Liga back, that they're serious for the rest of the season. And they, they get absolutely hammered. Uh, they defend terribly. They are terrible in every which way. Real Madrid is so much better than them. And obviously losing a showpiece in, in, the, in that manner is hugely embarrassing. Now, Xavi comes out afterwards and says, you know, that's the worst we've played since I've been in charge, basically. But ad admitting that isn't quite enough, especially with some of the performances that follow. And I think you look at, clearly in terms of him making this public at least, the 5-3 defeat at home to Villarreal at the, at the weekend is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And, and that is bad enough in isolation because as David was talking about last time he was on it, Villarreal are a mess this season. They're not good. Yeah. And they go to Camp Nou and score five goals. And of course, Javi's complaining about the refereeing decisions and all that sort of stuff when they don't get a penalty. It's deflecting, three, three. I think, you know. I think yeah. deflecting. There's almost a, a hopelessness tone there to, yes. to his words, what become. And you're right, you bring up Saudi as well because I think he, he bet everything on that. He put all of his chips there and said this is where we will kick on this is going to reignite our season it didn't they conceded 19 goals in January alone 19 goals That's they extraordinary. were they were blown away regularly it's not a case of just narrowly losing little decisions going against them which he did you know go towards it wasn't that they were blown away um, I think a lot of it is on him but also there's other things out of his control I think the injury to, to Gavi really really killed them um, he was kind of their safety net. His is this the bit where we've learned that Gavi's actually more important than Pedri? Uh, I think it's equal. I think, right. but there's an argument that you could make for Gavi being more important because in that season when they did do the double, Gavi papered over a lot of cracks in front of that defence in terms of covering them, and they had a brilliant defensive record in terms of the goals that they conceded. However, underlying numbers, it, it it was unsustainable. There was no way they could continue that. There was no way that they were going to carry on and be this amazing, resolute defensive team. So is it as simple as this season losing Gavi and Tuchet into injury? Considerably so, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I feel for him because, and don't get me wrong, he's made some mistakes. I think some of his changes, some of his game management have been poor. Absolutely. I just think there's been a lot of factors out of his control. And bigger picture... Again, going back to the summer, the players that they brought in, yes, there were names. Gundogan, 
João Félix. These are okay. These are big names. They're solid European names. Okay, but they were not players that you know helped Xavi's system, helped him progress it. How he wanted to play this intense, high pressing style. These players aren't really like that. Do you reckon they kind of lured him into playing? A slightly more open game that doesn't really suit them because I I I think when you when you look at this I mean they always had as you said quite a a risky way of defending but this season I think it's not just obviously the style has been a thing for a while that has been a, a disappointment to a lot of Barcelona fans who, who are expecting something else and they're expecting something else because a year before he got the job he was giving interviews to everyone saying. If I had Barcelona, if I was the coach of Barcelona, this is the way that I, I would play. We would play like real Barcelona. And then he turns up and it's, it's not like that at all. Now, obviously, he's partly stymied by the players they have and then the players they recruit and the fact that it's a, a post-Messi, post-Iniesta, post-him environment, I suppose you could say. But I think you look at not just a 5-3 defeat at home to Villarreal. I think you look at the previous big home defeat where they concede five to Girona. And Girona are a team who, also Catalan, but not even the second biggest team in Catalonia, by the way, top of the league, as we're speaking, 11 points clear of Barcelona at the top of La Liga, with a micro-budget, even compared to what Barcelona have got. We know Barcelona have got diminished means. They don't have anything like the resources of, of, of Barcelona. And you've got a team there who come to Montjuic, play them off the pitch, score a load of goals. They say, well, can you really talk about, you know, diminished means and that's why you can't play great football? Because we're playing great football with a fraction of the money. We're playing great football at your ground. Yeah, and every Barca fan's also, that was a turning point as well because every Barca fan's watching that and thinking, that's what we could be. Oh, that's what we want. We want to play like that. Mm. Why can't we play like that? They've got less than us, as Andy has said. And they did head towards this possession-based style. I always remember Vicente del Bosque when he used to speak about his Spanish team, which, of course, Xavi was a key part of. And he used to say their best form of defence was that possession game. Look, if we keep the ball, the team can't get the ball and take it up the field. So that was always key for them. I think Xavi looked at that and said, right, we'll move to this possession-based style and we can protect our our poorest defence, these weaknesses that we clearly have in defence. It, it hasn't worked because they simply haven't got that possession style together. It has not worked. Um, and teams have ended up taking advantage of that and they look far off the pace of, of others. What, what do you make of Xavi saying that he had made the decision at the beginning of the season almost? Because that undermines, doesn't it, what all the other efforts that the team might have made over the course of the season, if his mind hasn't been on the job, I, I, I think I think that's a maybe a little bit harsh. But I, I think you're definitely right in saying that it's worth examining why he thought at the end of the season, uh, uh, at the beginning of the season, I have to go. And I think it goes back to what David was saying about that sort of overachievement in one way of winning the double, which should have been a joyous season for Barcelona. But because they failed so badly in the Champions League in that same season, you know, they go out in the group stage and you know, they're, they're drawn in an absolute pig of a group. You can't get away from that. And they are a rebuilding team. But I think maybe he had a little bit of a feeling of, okay, 
I've won the double, but does anyone really appreciate that? Like, maybe not. Because, of course, at Barcelona, they're always talking about where they are financially, where they need to go next financially, about the fact that their financial plan, their financial recovery plan is tied to doing well in the Champions League. So even though he won the double, in certain sections of the club, he'll have been deemed to have failed because he didn't get them beyond the group stage of the Champions League because everything, all this recovery, is predicated on them getting to at least, what, the quarterfinals every yeah, season? absolutely. What Andy says there about underappreciation, mm. uh, Xavi himself has said, mm. and he's talked to Pep Guardiola, apparently, a mate of his, and he agrees coaches aren't valued. Is, is that a particular problem in Spain? Yeah, I think I think it's a problem everywhere. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, especially at the at the, at the very very top. Um, I think it's a problem everywhere, to be honest with you. And I think Xavi really really felt it, and he's probably I think he's disillusioned by everything that does go on off the pitch. He just wants to focus purely on the football side of things. But at Barcelona, there's a there's a lot going on everywhere for and him. You have a president who, when Laporta came out and gave his. Um, reaction to um, the Barcelona Club website about how he felt about Xavi's um, decision to go. Firstly, he well, he, he was a bit blindsided by it, wasn't he? Because like he, he found out about probably twenty minutes before Xavi told the press after after that defeat to Real. And secondly, he, he stood there and sort of kind of gaslighted everyone really he, mm-hmm. was, he was he was just saying well um we've stuck with Xavi because he's till the end of the season because he's a great champion and we we believe in him he's a great leader you've stuck with him because you've got no option yeah and then he stood there and said well economically and sportingly this club's in a really great place it's like anyone who knows the slightest thing about Barcelona knows that's not the which case. Which is a blatant lie. And they've got another summer of it coming up as well, which mm. could re- realistically be slightly worse. Because they're not going to compete with the top players who are available on the market. They're not going to go for your Mbappes, Osmans, and, and all this, the top, top players who are going to be available. He, they, they, as a club, are going to have to um, borrow and steal again. So if if you are... Laporta, and you're looking for a successor to Xavi, what's realistic? Because I know what a lot of people out there are thinking, a lot of people listening to this are probably thinking. They'll have seen the names linked. They'll have seen uh, Arteta, Deterbi, Mourinho. No, no, no. Straight away. (laughs) So, no. (laughs) On all three. Yeah, on on all three. On anyone. I've even seen somebody say, oh, uh, this is perfect for for Klopp. No, Klopp's not going either. I don't think people really realise the extent of Barcelona's financial issues. They cannot be attracting any of those coaches. I think Mourinho is more of a a stylistical, political one where he wouldn't come. The other two, they can't afford them. It's going to be Rafael Marquez, who's already at the club, in a coaching capacity and uh, Thiago Motta if it's anyone outside of them I've, I've seen some wild talk of Frank Rijkaard as well of, of all people but it's going to be somebody on on the basis of that I think Motta would be great but he could get a better job than that if we're being perfectly honest yeah. couldn't he because of how well he's done at Bologna and the fact that PSG have been looking at him for a while but I think what I was going to say is like, I reckon people out there are are listening to this and looking at the candidates and thinking Barcelona don't know what they're doing because there are so many diverse types of coaches. Now, look, 
that may well be the case. But I think you have to bear in mind that despite their diminished means, there will be agents and one particular agent like throwing clients at them. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily thinking, oh yeah, well, you know, we'll go for De Tervi and if we don't get in, we'll go for Mourinho and all the rest of it. I mean, I do love the way Mourinho timed his break to Barcelona. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, mag, it's magnificent, really. But of course, the, the fact that, you know, someone, someone talking about the fact that, oh, well, Georges Mendes has got a couple of clients at the club, then Joao Cancelo and Joao Felix, not permanent players, yeah. and, and players who they will struggle to keep financially as, as, as well. I guess what, as I said on the Ramble earlier in the week, the, where people will make the click is the fact that Deco's the sporting director. And that was one of the things, of course, him and Mourinho know each other very well from Porto, got the same agent. I mean, there are so many reasons why Mourinho to Barcelona would not work. And yet, you're talking about two really diminished brands, aren't you? Yeah. You, you know, two like, absolute giants of the game in Mourinho and Barcelona who look in the mirror and see something a bit different to what the rest of us see. And what does Mourinho put first above anything, above style or anything? Winning. What do Barcelona need to do now more than anything because of the financial issues? Win. However, Mourinho is or was Real Madrid. How is that going to sit? No, I'm, I'm not. He was I'm Barcelona not. before he was Real Madrid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. True. No, I'm, I'm not entertaining it. Like I said, I think it's Marquez or Mota. Uh, I think Mourinho would be hilarious on many levels. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, just, I don't see it. What about it. Xavi? When we look at his legacy at Barcelona, though, it feels like it's a legacy of two halves. On the one, our first half, winning... Uh, the league and the cup mm-hmm. and second half maybe well clearly not on that level I think what I'll remember most from Xavi at Barcelona is the extraordinary hope that he engendered in like a club that was in a hopeless place when he first arrived um, it was it was amazing the atmosphere that he created around the club because he'd been a servant for the club you know people knew him one of the yeah, great, they had was, one of the greatest ever players yeah, yeah. But, but one of the great football thinkers as well yeah like, I think that, that's what that's what got people on board really mm-hmm. not that he was just a symbol of the club he was a symbol of what they wanted to be and exactly what they wanted to see when that when they looked in the mirror but I think it just quickly became clear that for all the things he could do. He's an inexperienced coach and it's an impossible job. I, I, I fail to see who could get them in a better position. Basically, everything that's going on upstairs, until that gets sorted out, they've, they've got a huge problem and it would be tough for any coach. Will he be back, Jervy? Yeah, he'll be back. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll take some time out and what have you, but yeah, he'll be back. Look, he, he's, he was a success at Barcelona. It was Barcelona who failed Xavi. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So as we speak, the January transfer window is coming to an end. And one of the players that hasn't doesn't seem to have been linked with every other club, surprisingly perhaps, because he is uh, having the season of his life in Serie A, is Lautaro, the um, Inter player who seems to be scoring for fun, averaging a goal per game, mm. which just is remarkable when you think about it. And, and yet... He's kind of gone under the radar of, or has he? I'm sure people know what he's doing there, but why, why, why isn't he getting the kind of, you know, when you compare to centre forward like Ozzyman doing what he has done for uh, mm. Napoli, not doing any more for Napoli, but he's still being linked everywhere, isn't he? Yeah, I, I think they're in slightly different situations. I mean, I guess with Lautaro, you start with the fact that he didn't have a particularly impressive World Cup, even though he ended up winning the World Cup, which is obviously the pinnacle for any player. Apart from a couple of nerveless penalties in in shootouts, it didn't produce what they really wanted from him and what people really expected from him. That was so, a year ago. That was over a year yeah, ago. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right, it was. And I, th- I think a couple of things have, have, have changed for him. Um, he's the captain of Inter now. And symbolically, for a centre-forward to be captain of Inter, I mean, you think, like, Last weekend, when he came on and scored the winner against Fiorentina, 124th goal for the club, making him the highest overseas scorer for Inter, jointly with Mauro Icardi. And Mauro Icardi, the, when he became Inter captain, it completely changed everything. I mean, it, I, I still get the impression that Icardi's still really quite emotionally attached to Inter, despite all the fallouts, despite the fallout with Conte, despite the fallout with the Ultras, the way he left, you know, him and Wanda were like the king and queen of Milan. You know, that they have this apartment overlooking the sands here. Sorry, I'm getting a bit lost in this. We're meant to be talking about Lautaro. Well. No, I like it. Get yeah, lost yeah. in Mario Cardi. Yeah, 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 if you're going to yeah, get lost yeah. in any player, then please. Yeah, I think so. But I, I, th- I think that armband does something to a centre-forward at, at Inter. Because ever since he's been appointed the captain, as you've been saying, he's been fire. He's had great streaks for Inter before. And he's had moments where he's looked like genuinely one of the best strikers in the world. And I think this season, he's looked like genuinely one of the best strikers in the world. But what he's taken on in terms of leadership, I think the club have done well around him, mind you, because you look at like the end of last season, they lose Edin Dzeko, who he plays really well with. They lose Lukaku, obviously in a lot of rancor who he plays really well with and they're good mates. They're very, they're very close. But the way into deal with that, um, the way they, Marcus Turam has been a massive hit for them and they really click. And of course they've got Alexis and Arnautovic to, 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 to back him up. But I think if you're looking at Lautaro, you think, yeah, he, he really clicked with Lukaku. It was perfect. And he really clicked with, Jeco, and it really clicks with Turan. Look, look, these are all great players, but he's the common denominator, isn't he? You know, so when we're talking about him, it's the goal record 
is great this season and globally. But like a lot of great players, like a lot of great forward players, to describe him just in terms of goals, it's almost a bit vulgar, isn't it? There's so much more to it than that. There's so much more to him. Um, And I think this season, again, he's shown his ability to be a goal scorer, though. I mean, his defensive effort, his effort for the team as a whole, and look at this inter-team, is designed that way that they need Lautaro's presence, a player of his ilk. His defensive commitment has never, ever been in doubt. While you're talking about that, actually, he came very close to signing for Atletico Madrid before he signed for Inter. Can you imagine? Yeah, I know. He's one of those players, I think you can identify players and you can say, oh God, he's just perfect for Simeone. And, Mm. and, and, And he is one of those players. So yeah, I think he would have suited them perfectly. But yeah, if you look at it, he's, he has got the goal scoring right now. Euro's top five leagues, there's only Kane and Mbappe with more. Is, uh, is it then because because I made the comparison with Ozzyman, who is just a goal scorer. You know, you don't want Ozzyman anywhere outside the penalty box, do you? Mm-hmm. You want him right there, yeah. have a scoring with his head or otherwise. Is it almost a distraction that Lautaro does so much more than that? I think it can be sometimes. But I think if we're talking about in terms of why why he's like of, of less interest in transfer rumours. I think it's because of his situation. Because we all know that he's going to sign a new deal with Inter. So that's coming up. Having said that, as you've pointed out, Ozzyman has signed a new deal with Napoli this summer, uh, this, this winter. But that has made it more likely that he will leave rather than less likely because it contains a release clause. It's, it brings more clubs into the picture because it's a lower release clause at about 130 million than De Laurentiis was asking for last summer, which was 200 million, which completely knocked like, pretty much every club in the world that wasn't Saudi out of the, out of the picture. Whereas for, for Aussie men, Premier League clubs are involved when it comes to this mm-hmm. summer. You know, they're, they're, they're definitely at the table when it comes to bringing Victor Aussie men. Um, the thing with Lautaro, I, I think he's a very different player, but I would compare him a little bit to um, Milinkovic Savic because he was a player who was brilliant in Serie A, absolutely brilliant. But he was always more rated in Serie A than he was rated outside Serie A. Go back to what we said about Lautaro and him not particularly shining at the World Cup. If you watch Inter every week, you will know exactly how good Lautaro is. Yeah, astonishing. Whereas... Outside, I don't really think there's that appreciation of it. So the problem, well, it's not necessarily a problem. Definitely wasn't a problem for Lazio as they held on to him for so many years. And it isn't a problem for Inter now as they want to hold on to Lautaro. But you look at Milinkovic-Savic, for all those years, while he's incredibly productive, hitting um, double figures in terms of goals and assists, doing his thing in, in, in both boxes, because he was only really appreciated as being as good as he is in Italy, who's got the money to buy him there? No one. And even less so, I think, with the changes in Italian law that Nicky was changing, telling us about recently. It's very, very difficult for an Italian club, even if Inter were willing to sell him to an Italian, a fellow Italian club, to sell him there. Like, like no one would have the money. Like Juventus wouldn't have the money, for, for example. And those outside, where the real money is in the Premier League, they're not really convinced of his quality. I don't think you realise how many people have been off-put with Lautaro because of the World Cup. Mm. You know, he was yeah. dropped, what, second game? I think uh, second game, I think after the second game, I think he had 14, so he had 14 shots without scoring then. And he was dropped, Julian Alvarez came in. And I think a lot of people watch those times and say, oh, 
he, he, he's good enough for the Premier League if he does it at the World Cup. That's a really myopic view. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense, uh, but it is legitimate in the sense that that's how people view things. Um, Lataro's just doing so much. And, and look, I think the big point here is he doesn't need to leave. This interside, I think, are brilliant. They've they've mm. got a phenomenal manager. I think an underrated manager in himself as well. Inter aren't a Napoli. Napoli are a club where you go as a player, you know that you're not going to stay there past three, year, three four years. You're going to get sold and you're going to look for a big move. I think Inter are bigger in the sense that you know you can stay there. Uh, you can compete at the top of Serie A every single year. You can compete now in the Champions League under Enzaghi every single year. I think it's a great position for any player to be in. Lautaro doesn't need to leave Inter. Um, I think he's going to be a lifer there. I don't think I don't think he'll leave. I think he'll sign a new deal. I think he'll be there for the rest of his career. I guess that's a question. If you're Lukaku, who like obviously they still speak, um, do you wish you'd taken the same route as Lautaro? Because he had that unconditional love. He was playing the best football of his career. And now he's backed himself into a point, especially as we said with that change in finances in, in Serie A with, with, with tax obligations for for over, overseas players. I mean, he, he can't stay in Italy. He's almost, Lukaku's almost backed himself into a move to, to Saudi next summer, hasn't he? But he, he want, I think he's so spoon-eyed for the Premier League, Lukaku. I think he's got that chip on his shoulder that he feels criticised and undervalued. Mm. And to... to well, ju- so his pride made him go back to Chelsea rather than 100%, logic. 100%, of course. Yeah, I, I think he feels he needs to justify himself and prove himself in the Premier League. Lautaro, I don't think he needs to do that. I think he can see the bigger picture. Lautaro, I can say, I'm the main man at Inter. That's enough for me. We're a very successful club. We will continue having success. That's fine for me. I think Lukaku wanted to go back, wanted to prove himself to these these doubters, these naysayers. And it's a funny thing, I think, because if you were playing for Inter every week, obviously they're talking about how differently things are viewed inside and outside Italy. I think the San Siro when Inter are playing at home is actually something extraordinary. You know, if they're doing halfway well, totally full, the atmosphere's banging, you know, from the minute you walk up to the San Siro, you just see the silhouette and you're like, yeah, this is this is football. Come yeah. on, and then you get in there, and the atmosphere. If you're an Inter player, like, lifts you as, as as well. It would be an amazing place to play. And the football is good now as well. Yeah. We're, we're not talking some slow, turgid, you know, stereotypical Italian football. Look at the way the Inter play. They can adapt to any style. The way that they play, they can break on you. They can have possession as well. They can grind out wins. They can blow teams away. I think it's a great thing to be part of. No need to leave for Lataro. And it will be banging this weekend, of course, because they're, they're playing at home to Juventus. And Juventus dropped points last weekend. You see, as soon as they said, as soon as Max Allegri said, yeah, we're in this title race, they're going to drop points at home to, to Empoli. So that's why this Lautaro goal was so vital, because it put them back on the top of the table into, with a game in hand. And Juventus are in this weird position because obviously their approach to this and Allegri's approach to this game on Sunday would always be wait and see. But do they have to have a bit of a go at Inter? And then, obviously, that is exactly what Inter won. Well, time for some bish bosh because arguably the the inform team, club team in Europe, is PSV in the Eredivisie because... They have not lost a single match all season. 
In fact, they've only drawn one match all season and yeah. they've won all the other matches. It it sounds incredible. It's either that they are, as like I say, the scintillating team in Europe or the rest of the league is rubbish. And I wouldn't say that about the Eredivisie, would you? Well, I, <laughs> well I, I'm being I, honest. I, I, they're so I, far I, ahead of I, everybody I, I else. I are an issue. I think, I think Ajax are all over the place. It's, it's, it's clear. Now, obviously, since John Van Schip became the head coach, um, they've improved. They've gone up the table. They're back in the mix for European qualification now. They're still miles off PSV, but anyone would be miles off PSV. If you've played 19 games and won 18 of them and drawn of the other one, which mad. was, as you say, just a, a couple of weeks ago against uh, Utrecht, I mean, it's it's a remarkable record. And I think when you look at Arne Slot, the, f- the final coach's choice to stay at Feyenoord last summer when he got offered some Premier League jobs, Tottenham very interested. At least part of that was informed by he knew what was coming at Ajax. I think he had a little look across and thought, okay, maybe having having become champions, we can create a bit of a dynasty here. We can continue to do well in Europe. I can hang about and then maybe go to the Premier League or wherever else later down the line. But of course, he didn't bank on PSV being this good. Now, PSV did well and well, did well and spent a lot in trying to keep up with Ajax over these last couple of years. Because if we go back, say, four or five years, go back to when Ajax got to the semi-finals of the Champions League, they nearly got to the final of the Champions League. They make such an extraordinary amount of money in that they have this run to the Champions League semi-final that no one expects because they started in like the second qualifying round that year. They sell two huge players who are pure profit in De Ligt and De Jong. From this position, it is going to take a lot of financial mismanagement to not dominate Dutch football for the next five or six years. Obviously, that happens <laughs> largely when Mark Overmars and then um, uh, Eric Ten Hag and uh, Edwin van der Sar go. And, you know, they're, they're kind of recalibrating upstairs. But for PSV at that point to say, okay, we're your traditional rivals and we're going to make it difficult for you. And they did make it difficult for them. They've produced some really good sides over, over the last couple of years. So I think... Part of it is is their excellence. Part of it is obviously helped by the fact that Ajax are in a bit of a state, but they've still had to take on a really good Feyenoord. And I think if you look at Feyenoord's season so far, in any other season, their league record would be easily enough to be on top of the table. Feyenoord could not be doing any more. And PSV, that they, they still lose players left and right. I mean, you know, they lost players last summer. They, they lost the best player in the Eredivisie last mm, summer, Javi Simmons, Simmons. Yep. exactly. And yet, Peter Bosch, who's also a coach who's been criticised, not least by me, and, and me as well. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Us, yeah, Peter I'm, Bosch fan club. I'm not here. hiding here. Uh, over over his last couple of jobs, and justifiably so, he has a reason to be smug at the moment, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. The style, um, the way that they've done it, is what's most impressive. Uh, unbelievably aggressive sides. 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, play with those inverted wingers that everyone seems to like at the moment. 
I think they were um hand, I think they got very lucky when Bakayoko did not end up going to the Premier League. Yes. The fact that he stayed yes. and he's been such a key player. There's probably not many more exciting players in the Eredivisie than him. You know, I'd probably see him and uh, Sandy Jimenez, uh, you, you too. So they kept him and they've played this style, I think, that is extremely aggressive based upon winning the ball back very high up the field. If you look at all their numbers, they are winning the ball back high up the pitch a lot more than anybody else. Uh, the number of turnovers they're getting as well, r- remarkable. Um and I think they're blowing teams away in that sense. It's a, it's a lot for teams to, to, to cope with. Um, they're having a lot of shots on goals. I, I looked at it as well that they're actually, I think it's uh, about five shots more per game than they were ha- averaging there under Ruud van Nistelrooy. And that was a good side under van Nistelrooy as well. That was not a bad side at all. But Bosch has improved literally everything at, at that team. Um, and they're going to win it at a canter. The, the, if, they, if they can maintain this, Absolutely, it's it's difficult to do so, but the way they're playing right now, it looks like they're going to win at the Kanda. I imagine that Peter Bosch is saying, well, the reason I'm so smug, um, Mr. Brassel, is because you laughed when I said I did not have a plan B. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Right, okay. Infamously at yeah. Dortmund. Well, infamous, you say that. I don't have a tactical plan B. Plan B is to do plan A better. I mean, it's a great and, quote. Well, it's not a bad one, is it? <laughs> Particularly when you're top of the league at a cancer. Uh, I wonder whether he has been underestimated, not least for that quote, but like um, you were saying a moment ago, Final didn't see him coming, at no. least not doing what he's doing at PSV. At the no, moment. absolutely. And I, I think... He's not deviated from from that quote that that, that, mm. that you've just said. I think that's the remarkable thing. What David was saying about their commitment to being really aggressive, exactly what bit him on the arse at Dortmund and Leverkusen and Leon. And it's just like, it's as if it never happened. He's, he's just turned up and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do exactly the same thing, but just a bit better. And which I quite admire as well. I like it when you stick to your philosophy, no matter what. No matter what. I think when a manager or, or even a player loses their identity that got them somewhere. He's fun Mourinho. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'd say that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah why not? Let's, yeah. Let's, let's let's go with that, yeah. But PSV have got a date with Destiny on Saturday night with the aforesaid Ajax. Yeah, they do. The Classica. And this is, this is huge for Ajax. Of course, if his papers come through in time, then Jordan Henderson might be able to make his Ajax debut. We'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I would imagine they won't start him for, for this because it will be... Like harem scarem, and if we go back earlier in the season to when it was really falling apart for Ajax under Morris Stein, they of course managed to stretch the misery due to crowd trouble. They managed to stretch the misery of losing four nil at home to Feyenoord over what four days? I think it was. <laughs> you know, they start losing to them on Sunday lunchtime, end up losing to them on. Wednesday afternoon in an empty, empty stadium. And it was humiliating. It was absolutely humiliating. So, look, they know they're 20 points, 21 points behind. They can't catch him. But they want to qualify for Europe. And they want to get themselves in a position where they can just hold their heads up, really, after a really, really poor season. Now, the thing is, they have improved. But I think there is a limit to how far Ajax can improve because it's just... The recruitment was really what kippered them this season. Like Sven Mislintat did a terrible job and 
henceforth, I got one of the reasons I got rid of it. Imagine my shocks when Mr. And so some Arsenal fans applauding right now. Exactly, exactly. Swing their shirts around their heads. Um, but I, I think Van Chip has, has, has done very well to coach those players into some sort of serviceable place. However, I think the real victory for Bosch this season, and they're definitely the favourites for this, every big game they've, they've, they've stood up this season, qualified from, from the Champions League group, despite taking that whacking at Arsenal early on as, as, as well. So their ability to recover from disappointment is, is, is quite impressive. But I think if, if we're drilling down into what Bosch has been able to do, it's individual coaching, I think, has really improved, like, Bakayoko, for example, who is a really fine player and will go on to do very well in the Premier League when he goes there. But in the meantime, he's definitely benefited from being coached by Bosch. And you can say that about other players. You can say that about um, you can say that about Tillman. You can say that even about someone experienced as Luke De Jong, who's scoring left and right. Although you know that says a lot for the collective strength of, of of them I think I think Veerman's somebody who we've seen definitely go above and beyond uh, I think everybody kind of maybe had a, an idea of his of level was, yeah, yeah 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 exactly yeah. and he's gone yeah. beyond that I know I I, he's created the most chances in the Eredivisie this season um, and he's been phenomenal I mean to, to cover that gap left by Xavi Simons it's, it's just impossible he's been one of the best players in the Bundesliga this season but they've managed to do it they've managed to get better without him which is remarkable and when you think of like some of the signings that they've done quite well to get and I think Armel Belakotchap for example is very promising when they signed I think, fa- I think he's a fantastic defender I think he was really doing a disservice at the time that he arrived at Southampton the way that yeah. they were set up and what have you Agreed. the manager that they brought in at the time I think he's potentially a, a, a top European centre-back but but like, I agree and like Bosch has only, only had him for like two and a half three games because of fitness concerns so the players they brought in to help him he hasn't really been able to use so it has been about I know it's like David Moyes at West Ham really in his second spell just working with players and thinking I can get more out of this player which you know is the ultimate triumph of coaching really but what time to play Ajax nevertheless uh, 10 unbeaten uh, it, it proves or it's likely to prove to be a you know hard fought battle between the two teams this De Classica but neither of you are going for it for your game of the week, are you? Neither of you? We're no. not, no. No, interesting. So it is that time where we ask you, can you recommend a game of the week for us then? Better than De Classica? Andy, you're looking at me as if, of course I can. I think I think we're heading for Sunday night multi-screen. Just get all your screens out. I mean, we already <laughs> said it's going to be... Into... A mobile phone screen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bor- borrow a child's laptop is, is going to be that sort of business. Uh, tablet as well. Uh, I think... We've already talked about um, Saturday night and uh, Ajax versus PSV. We've talked about Sunday night where we've got Inter versus Juventus, which is going to be great. Elsewhere on Sunday night, Lyon versus Marseille, the two busiest teams in the transfer window. Now, we're recording this on a a Thursday. By the time you listen to this, both of these teams might have a few more players because they're going to be busy right until deadline. Lyon need need a reshape. They're getting it. Um, but now they've got to actually start winning some games because they've 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 lost the last two in in the league as well. Lyon and Marseille absolutely hate each other. It's going to be a big atmosphere. No away fans, of course, after what happened to them 
um, between them in um, when the game was originally planned for the, the, the first game at the Velodrome back in in October. But um, I, I would say Leon will end up pulling away from the relegation zone, but this is a huge game for them. And Marseille will want to grasp the opportunity to embarrass them. And Marseille, in an administrative sense, in the sense of the relationship between the fans and the board, they're not in a great place either. So whoever loses this is going to be massively, massively under the cost from their Which fans. is the bigger club, Marseille or Lyon? Well, Marseille historically, because they've, 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 they've won a Champions League and they're the only men's team in France to have won a Champions League. So I don't, I don't think you can really argue with that. But um, yeah, they, they would absolutely love to make it more, more difficult for, for Lyon. So I think here... It's it's going to be a really satisfying fair either day. So really, you need to go to somewhere in in Old Lyon, if you'll allow me to food fantasize for a menu du jour. I think you need the full three courses before this. So I, I think you're going for um, an onion soup. You go for andouillette, uh, pig's gut sausages for 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 main, or like my preference would be an, a a nice sort of pave steak I, I, th- I think that 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 would be good and um yeah something with praline in it for pud because it's leon after all i'm, I'm glad we know the food for that game because we definitely don't know how uh, both sides are going to line up <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, exactly. there's so much going on in the market with both those clubs we do not have a clue how they're going to line up especially in attack it's, it's like nemanja matic is going well, i'll play if the coach asks me but well, that that mainly is the plan when you're signed yeah <laughs> i just he signs you he wants you to play yeah i, I just can't wait to see what the leon front three is so what um, would you go for? Yes, yes, we'll we'll definitely know the lineups of uh, uh, in in my game because it's you know it picks itself. Um, so I'm going for uh, Real Madrid against Atletico Madrid. Also on Sunday evening, eight o'clock. Tasty, tasty. Um, and that's not even the food. This is the actual game. So Real Madrid have got a game in hand, which they'll play against um, Hitafe on Thursday evening, uh, which is it's in Hitafe as well. Bordalas will. Uh, Please, I mean, this is his meat and veg, trying to get one over a Barcelona or a Real Madrid Atleti. This is what he lives for. So Real Madrid are not going to have an easy game on Thursday against Bordelas. We'll see how that one goes. Um, but yes, yeah, Sunday, 8 o'clock, Real Madrid and Atleti. Um, and second versus third. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's Madrid derby. It's in the, in the current guise as well. This could go um, either way. We've got, you know, Antoine Griezmann, you know, world-class right now, world-class form. Um, it's going to be a big factor there. And yeah, this this one's a must-watch. The Madrid derby versus the Clásico, which is the most must-watch? Um, you can watch both. You can, I know, uh, yeah, but I think, uh, <laughs> not I've, at the same time. I've, I've got opinions on this. I don't think the Classic, I don't think Classic, El Clásico is nowhere near where it was. Peak, Pep, Moo. Um, I think it's very much now a, where I'd like to call a, a social media derby. I think there's a lot of people talking about it on social media and what have you and, and fans on there who are, who are berating each other and, and trying to troll each other and what have you like that. But in terms of a spectacle of the game itself, I think the Madrid derby's far better. I think there's a lot more bitterness there um, right now. That's, so what, I, that's what we're there for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I Actually, you know, in the, in the ground, the bitterness is there. And so, yeah, that's it. And um, in terms of food, I'm also going for something very satisfying as well. I hope uh, so. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think before I've recommended chorizo with red wine. This yes. time I'm gonna. I, this time I'm gonna go chorizo a la cidra. So chorizo with cider. Oof. Get it in the pan. Bit of cider in there. Some nice onions as well, and really get the get the juices flowing. That David Villa coming around yours for dinner, is he? Oh man, I'd love that. 
pirate the old Assyrian way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to On the Continent. Uh, join us again tomorrow for a special deadline day edition of Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the biggest transfer news from the world of European football. That episode will be in your podcast app mid-morning, once all the overnight faxes have come through, of course. Uh, make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.